Good day and welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Kleiman Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Stone. America's electricity system is undergoing dramatic change, in particular as distributed energy resources, notably rooftop solar and electricity storage, become more common. As these resources grow more popular, their potential to impact the larger electricity system also grows. Taken in aggregate, total rooftop solar and electricity storage in the U.S. now equals the generation potential of several traditional power plants. Accordingly, some in the electricity industry have recognized the potential for distributed energy to participate in the same competitive wholesale electricity markets that have, until now, been the domain of larger nuclear, gas, and coal generators. On today's podcast, we'll look at the growth opportunity that wholesale markets can provide to distributed energy and at the major challenges that remain to their participation in these markets. Our guest today is Ari Pesco, a visiting scholar here at the Climate Center. Ari, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Ari is Senior Fellow in Electricity Law at the Harvard Law School Environmental Law Policy Program Initiative. Earlier, as an energy attorney, he litigated cases before the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, also known as the FERC. Ari, again, welcome to the show. Uh, I thought we would start out just talking a little bit I want to ask about your background in energy markets and with distributed energy resources in particular. Yeah, so uh, I'm at the Environmental Policy Initiative at Harvard, and we are an independent policy organization that provides legal research on a range of environmental and energy policy issues. And I focused on the electricity sector, and in particular, um, the the interplay between state and federal authority. Um, this has become a, a hot topic in recent years as states are trying to push clean energy policies um, and you know trying to uh, play within the legal space that they have, uh, which is confined by FERC's regulation of the interstate wholesale markets. And so distributed energy resources, um, which we're here to talk about today, are these small-scale resources that have traditionally been regulated by states, um, but now there's we're looking at opportunities for how these, these uh, traditionally state-regulated resources might be able to participate in these federally regulated markets. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting topic for me as someone that's particularly interested in, again, this interplay between state authority and federal authority over electricity markets. So we're talking about these dis- distributed resources, solar, batteries as well. The other side is the wholesale market that they will potentially participate in. What is a wholesale electricity market? Yeah, so wholesale means a sale for resale. So what it is are power plants that are selling to utilities that in turn are then providing energy to consumers. Um, And so these markets are dominated by very large-scale power plants, nuclear, coal, gas, and now wind as well is a, is a contributing source in many parts of the country. Um, and these are, are large power plants that are connected uh, via uh, uh, high-voltage transmission lines. So these are the lines that you see if you're driving on a highway and you see these large, large uh, towers of, uh, of, of transmission lines. Um, and so those are then connected to the utility-owned distribution system, which is where we all get our power from. So these wholesale markets are regulated by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Um, these markets, particularly in the eastern half of the country, uh, is where, where they exist. And they were set up about 20 years ago uh, by the utilities themselves. And they're overseen by FERC. FERC gets to approve all of the market rules. And these markets are sort of a platform for competition for these large-scale power plants. The 
power plants tell the market how much power they want to provide and at what cost they're willing to provide that power. And then the market operator tries to figure out, okay, what is the least cost mix of resources that's going to meet demand? Um, and so that's sort of the role that these wholesale markets play. And they, 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 they provide almost all of our energy today that we consume. So now you've got these small resources again that might participate in those markets. What is the advantage if somebody has rooftop solar or, 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 or you know, to be able to participate in these larger markets? And what are the, the barriers? Well, so right now, for, if someone has a, um, a solar system on their rooftop, um, they're, they're selling that energy to their local utility. Um, and that usually, almost in every case, uh, that sale is effectuated through that customer's retail bill, through their bill that they receive each month from their utility. Um, and as it stands right now, that's a pretty good deal for customers with, with rooftop solar. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a huge uh, source of controversy right now as to what's going to be the future business model for these distributed energy resources like rooftop solar, like, like, like energy storage. Um, electric vehicles are going to be part of this mix too. And what's going to be the business model for small-scale resources to provide services to the energy grid, to the utility? Um, and so the dominant arrangement, this sale on a retail bill, which is known as, as net metering, um, has really come under attack by the utility industry over the past couple of years. They argue that they're overpaying uh, for, for energy provided by these small-scale systems. And so there's ongoing debates right now in just about every state about you know, what's sort of going to be the exchange rate between a customer and the utility for this, for this energy. And so I think the distributed energy resource industry, the providers of these technologies and services, are looking for new business opportunities. Um, and so selling into the wholesale market is one potential future opportunity moving forward that I think people are just starting now to explore. And as I understand, when people sell their electricity into the system through net metering, that is not going into any wholesale market. That's going into a local electricity market. Is that correct? So, yeah, you can, you can really think about it as just um, an offset on uh, an individual customer's bill. So um, if you consume a certain amount of energy each month and then you add a rooftop solar system onto your house, you sort of get to deduct that production from the amount that you would otherwise be paying towards your utility. And so, um, again, as I said, that's a pretty good deal right now in, in most cases for for the homeowner, for the, for the user. Um, and so you know, the way it's, you can think about it also is that it's sort of, from the utilities perspective, to the extent that they um, are going to the wholesale market to buy energy to serve their consumers, if there is rooftop solar within their service territory, they have to buy then less energy from the wholesale market. Um, so there's some sort of accounting that they have to do to figure out, you know, wh wh what sort of is the optimal mix for them. But in general, it's, you know, it's cheaper for utilities to purchase energy from the wholesale market than it is to buy it from their own uh, customers under current regulation. I want to step back to this issue of net metering one more time. There's, um, I believe the Department of Energy is working on a report that will be presenting to Congress soon about the, um, you know, the economics and the the rationale behind net metering, mm -hmm. it sounds like that might be actually not good for net metering, if I understand correctly. Yeah, I'm not sure what that report's going to ultimately say. As I said, this net metering issue, which is really about the exchange rate between the 
the customer and the utility has been a, a source of controversy for years. And the utility industry really pushing back on 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 uh, the current billing arrangements and saying that they're overpaying. The pushback from the solar industry is that um, distributed energy resources, and particularly rooftop solar, provide unique value to the utility system, and in particular. Um, they avoid certain costs the utility might otherwise have to expend, and they provide certain values, particularly environmental values that we as a society um, ought to value, even if there's no current way of doing so under our regulatory system. And and the, the sort of unique value that they provide to the utility is potentially avoiding certain infrastructure investments that the utility might have to make. So, for example, um, as demand grows in the system, the utility might have to uh, make its system more robust build new infrastructure, but to the extent that distributed energy resources can reduce the need for that infrastructure, can reduce the need for the utility to bring in energy from from other parts of the system because that part of the system is able to provide its own energy, it may actually be able to reduce uh, utility costs in the long run. And so that's it's difficult to calculate, and there's been a lot of efforts to try to figure out how to value those benefits, and there's a lot of disagreement there about how to do that. So if there's so much benefit potentially from these resources for the wholesale markets. Why is it so difficult for these resources to participate? Well, you know, the, the wholesale markets have very complicated rules. Um, the, the rules for these markets are, are in their tariffs, uh, which are regulated by FERC. And these tariffs, as I mentioned, these markets were started a couple decades ago. And when these rules were written, they envisioned these large-scale resources, nuclear power plants, coal power plants, and others – being the sole participants in the markets. And so there were certain assumptions, uh, technical assumptions about what these resources are and how they're going to to participate that were really written with the assumption that it was going to be just these large-scale resources. Um, And so these smaller-scale resources uh, don't don't sort of meet the technical profiles of these large-scale resources, don't provide the same types of services necessarily that these other resources um, provide. And so there's sort of no participation model for these small-scale resources. Um, and so what, 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 um, what the markets have to do is go back and look at their rules and see what are the barriers that are preventing these small-scale resources from participating, what sort of services can they provide to the market, um, and how can we uh, facilitate their full participations. They can provide all the value that they're technically capable of providing. And some of those issues might be the intermittency of the renewable resource? So there's some certainly issues around um, intermittency, but there's there's a number of, of other technical issues. And just one example here um, is, um, you know, these are very small-scale resources as compared to your traditional power plant. And so you wouldn't have one resource participating on its own in these wholesale markets. What you'd have is uh, an aggregation of these resources coming in to participate. Um, and so there's just a question of how that might work, sort of, a, you know, what a whole range of technical issues around that. So, for example, you know, under what um, what's the geographic scale for aggregating these resources? Is it, you know, how do you define uh, an aggregation? Is it sort of, you know, at a circuit level, at a, at a geographic state level, at a utility level? Um, there's all sorts of... of um, ways you might think about that. And then once you do come up with an aggregation scheme, how are you then going to meter those resources to make sure that they're actually providing the energy that they, that they say they're providing to the market? Um, you know, 
power plants have very expensive metering equipment on them, you're not going to provide that same level of metering on each individual small-scale resource. So what's going to be the scheme for doing that at an aggregated uh, level? So there's a range of technical issues you'd have to figure out, uh, as well as sort of the coordination between the local utility, which is really the point of interconnection for these resources, and then the wholesale market, which is you know uh, a ne- the next point of connection. So it sounds like if I am somebody with rooftop solar, I'm not going to go ahead and sell my electricity straight into the wholesale market. An aggregator is going to take the electricity that I produce, all my neighbors, everybody in an area, put those together into a large enough quantity that it would actually be significant and could be sold into that much larger electricity market. Yeah, that's exactly right. So there's this new business opportunity for this aggregating company. Um, you know, who's going to go and 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 basically sign contracts with individual resources, individual homeowners, um, and and bring these resources up to the wholesale market. Now, uh, at the end of 2016, I believe um, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, the FERC issued a NOPER, uh, Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, that was going to um, require the electricity markets, such as PJM here in our area in Pennsylvania, um, to make it easy for these aggregators and these resources to actually participate. What has happened to that NOPER, and why aren't the markets possibly moving forward to, to enable these, uh, these, these resources to play? Yeah, so as you say, the... the um, FERC issued a, a proposed rule that would essentially require these market operators to revise their tariffs so that these aggregators have a – And the tariffs uh, are the rules of the market, right? Right. So to basically revise the market rules um, to provide a participation model for these aggregators, to make sure that there are rules written specifically to allow these aggregators to participate and to provide all of the various services to the market that they're able to provide. And so that – uh, proposed rule is still sitting out there. FERC has yet to rule on it. Um, you know, part of the issue here with with FERC is that for several months in 2017, it didn't have a quorum. Uh, FERC is a a five member commission uh, that you know its members are appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. And due to retirements at the end of the Obama administration and the very beginning of this administration. Um, you know, there, at, there was only one commissioner at some point uh, this year. And so it took a while for this administration to nominate people, for the Senate then to confirm them. Now, finally, uh, you know, in early November, the commission is now finally back up to, to full strength uh, with five members. And so, you know, perhaps there's a possibility that we'll now finally, um, you know, rule on this. But we don't know, you know, whether or not it's going to, you know, sort of go with its initial proposal and require the markets to, you uh, to allow um, aggregators to participate or whether it's going to reject its own rule, which is possible. It took comment. Um, There was a fair amount of opposition from the utility industry to this proposal. Um, Ostensibly what they're worried about are the technical coordination issues between, again, those utilities that are going to be the initial point of connection for these resources and then coordinating with the wholesale market. There's no doubt that there are um, a range of you know, logistical issues to work out as to how they're going to coordinate this. Um, but, you know, as I see it, there are no legal barriers to making this happen, but there certainly are some technical issues that will have to be worked out. But that's sort of, you know, that these sort of technical issues are what, you know, FERC and the market operators, um, you know, that, that's what they do is work these things out. So there's no, you know, it, it's complicated, but, you know, I've, I've confidence they can do it if, if this is something they want to do. Let's jump to, for the moment to the issue of economics. 
So you mentioned earlier net metering, and many people who have rooftop solar um, can actually sell their excess electricity back into their local uh, distribution grid through this process of, of, of net metering. And they receive a price for that, a guaranteed price. And that price is generally the, um, the retail price for electricity that, that these people are paid for what they're putting into the grid. If you look at the wholesale markets, the wholesale price is less than the retail price. So looking at these resources, if net metering were to be replaced by participation in wholesale markets, would the economics be as positive for solar, for um, distributed battery storage? What would it do to the growth of those technologies? So I think if you look at the regulatory system today, the technology today, and the prices today, um, for an individual you know, homeowner that has solar on the roof, aggregating is probably not your best move today. Um, you know, this is I, the way I see it is that this aggregation effort is really about setting us up for what the future opportunities might be. Um, you know, we don't know what the cost of solar is going to be in 2030, what the cost of energy storage is going to be then. Um, and so aggregation could be a way to make these resources um, or really rather a new business opportunity for these resources going forward. And we also don't know what exactly is going to be the business model for distributed energy resources. Um, you know, we don't know what the future of net metering is going to be. And at the same time, we don't know what sort of clever business models these aggregators themselves are going to come up with. And so how might these um, aggregators pair resources together, for example? Maybe you don't just have rooftop solar resources selling in an aggregation. Maybe you're pairing that with storage. Maybe you're pairing it with electric vehicle charging services and or what other resources may then be available in the future. And, you know, you're coming up with a whole package for an individual homeowner that's, you know, selling up to the wholesale level is just one service that you're providing to the individual um, homeowner. So I think, you know, as I see it, you know, the, the, basically aggregation is, is, is part of the next step of distributed energy resources. And it's part of the future business model, but it's probably not the only piece of that model. You mentioned earlier that the jurisdiction over these resources is a critical issue. Do the states regulate them or does the federal government via the FERC regulate them? How is that going to complicate these resources participating? I know there's been a number of court cases around this as well, some related to a demand response um, that that kind of give us some direction. But can you talk about that? Yeah, so I think the recent – Supreme Court decision about demand response is is really on point here. So demand response um, means that uh, customers basically reduce their consumption in response to price signals. So, you know, the the classic example of this is on a hot summer day, particularly in Pennsylvania. uh, You know, that's when demand on the energy on the electricity system is at its peak because everybody's running their air conditioners to keep cool. Um, and so prices spike. And you think about basic supply and demand economics. When demand is at its peak, then prices go up um, as well. And so the, the point of demand response is for some customers to voluntarily reduce their consumption to get paid for that reduction. Um, and that benefits the whole system because it mitigates that price spike. Um, and so basically everybody benefits from this demand response resource that reduces prices for everyone. Um, And for several years, FERC had allowed aggregators of demand response, that is these companies that would go out 
and contract with individual businesses and homeowners uh, for their demand response service and then bid them into the wholesale market, which is what the aggregator would do. Um, you know, FERC had, a, had required uh, the wholesale market operators to allow these demand response aggregators to sell services in the wholesale markets. And there was a, uh, a case about this where some of the generators – uh, some of the electric generation companies didn't like demand response because it lowered prices and they preferred high, higher prices. So they, they, they took FERC to court and they argued that FERC had no jurisdiction to allow demand response to participate in the wholesale market. And their, their rationale was um, that demand response is regulating consumption. It's regulating end-use consumption, and that's something that only states have jurisdiction to regulate. Again, the, the FERC only has jurisdiction over wholesale sales, which are those sales for resale, and the states have jurisdiction over sales for end use, which is you know consumers buying energy and then, and then using it. And so their argument was that demand response is in that latter category. It's, it's basically regulating end use sales. Um, and this went up to the Supreme Court, uh, and the Supreme Court sided with FERC. It said FERC does have jurisdiction to regulate these demand response aggregation sales in the wholesale markets under the theory that um, demand response directly affects wholesale sales, that um, demand response, again, it has this effect of lowering wholesale prices. It, it helps reliability of the high-voltage electric grid that FERC itself regulates. Um, and it, you know the services can be sold directly in 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 FERC wholesale markets, and so they said FERC does have jurisdiction to regulate it. And you can really analogize here to other distributed energy resources that um, you know just like demand response can be aggregated. You know sales from these small scale solar and battery resources can be aggregated together, sold into the wholesale market. These resources are already affecting wholesale prices because, as I mentioned, they're reducing uh, demand for wholesale power. Um, and these resources may also very well you know, contribute to the reliability of, of the wholesale electric system. So the same arguments that apply for demand response, being able to uh, participate in the wholesale markets, would apply to other distributed energy resources as well. So there is precedent for it then? So uh, Yeah, there is precedent for it. Um, that's not to say that there won't be controversy. Um, you know, there's, you know, the, the electricity system is a, is a trillion dollar industry. There's a lot of money at stake in these decisions. There is a lot of incentive for people to litigate these major changes in, in the regulatory system. And so certainly there, there, this will be brought in, brought to court eventually. Um, and, 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 you know, opponents of, 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 um, Distributed energy resources will try to find some distinctions between, for example, rooftop solar and battery on the one hand and demand response resources on the other hand. I think, you know, as a matter of law, I think they'll fail. But, you know, ultimately, this will come before the courts. When would you expect these resources to really start to play? Well, I mean, that's a matter of the of the sort of economics and technology, I think, um, you know, as well as things that happen in the state level. As long as it's more economic for these resources to participate in state-level programs, I suspect that's where we will see them. Um, you know, there's one interstate wholesale market right now that already lets aggregations of distributed energy resources participate. That's the California market. And it's not surprising that, that California is leading on this because, you know, that is – um, you know, they're leading in general on, on rooftop solar and other distributed energy resources. And so the California ISO market, which is this, this wholesale market in California, 
um, earlier in 2017 finalized uh, a participation model for aggregation of distributed energy resource. And my understanding is that there's been little to no participation thus far. Um, and I think, you know, part of that is because the state has several programs for these resources to participate in. There's a lot of history of, of, of participation in those state-level programs, and so businesses are comfortable participating in those state-level programs. Um, but I, you know, I suspect that as time moves on, as the technology develops, and more importantly, as the business models develop as well, um, companies will, will figure out how to um, you know, profitably participate in wholesale market programs. This whole issue has been politicized to some degree, and I wanted to bring up the issue of the recent um, NOPER. It's another notice of proposed rulemaking, different from the one we talked about 10 minutes ago. This one came from uh, the DOE under Secretary Rick Perry, and this one would um, pay coal and nuclear power plants to keep them competitive in electricity markets. How might that impact, uh, again, uh, the ability of, of rooftop solar to participate? Consumers would, at least in the short term, for sure, see their bills increase because what this proposal would do um, is basically um, carve nuclear and coal units essentially out of the competitive wholesale markets. And it would go back to the days of when power plants are regulated under cost of service principles. And cost of service regulation basically assures a power plant that it'll recover all of its costs plus earn a profit, which is sort of the antithesis of a competitive market. Um, and so in the short term, this would certainly raise costs for consumers because it would, it would you know, again, carve out a significant chunk of the market and, and assure that some units would be profitable. So consumers would, would bear the brunt of that. Um, it's just worth, worth just for a second reflecting on how weird this proposal is on another level um, because, as you mentioned, it came from the Department of Energy. And as we've been discussing, these markets are regulated by FERC. Um, and normally it's FERC that proposes all of the rules that that affect these markets. And here the Department of Energy invoked this rarely used authority that it has to propose market rules. It hasn't done this in 30 years and has actually only done this for natural gas markets, never for, for power markets. And now FERC and not DOE is the only entity that can now evaluate and potentially finalize um, this rule. So we'll we'll see what happens um, with this particular rule, you know, what, what the rule does, or I should say the, the stated purpose of the rule is to help the resiliency of our nation's electric grid. Um, and the rule itself was sort of confused as to what that might mean. What does resilience mean in the power sector? But the rule claims that coal and nuclear units, because they can store large amounts of fuel on site – are more resilient sources of power than natural gas, which has to rely on pipelines. And that's a hotly contested point. And even if it is true in some sense, whether or not it's relevant to an interconnected power system uh, where, you know, you don't necessarily need every single generator to operate at every single moment, um, whether or not this, these really add resilience is, is another issue. But the, but the distributed energy resource industry in their comments uh, to FERC on this proposal have said, hey, you know, we can provide resiliency as well. Um, you know, distributed energy resources, you know, can operate, you know, connected directly to consumers, directly to the distribution grid. It doesn't need this high voltage transmission network to work. And so, you know, things like 
rooftop solar, distributed storage, microgrids, which are sort of small-scale grids that can operate on their own. These are all things that can operate um, you know, if there's a storm, if there's some other disturbance on the high-voltage grid. So these are resources that, you know, if you're thinking about what a resilient grid looks like, what is a grid that can react uh, and sort of still work in response to some sort of disaster, you know, you have to look at distributed energy resources and the role they might be able to play. And so it's sort of a huge oversight, um, you know, from, from the DOE's proposal. Do you think it's... Um it's bound to happen that these resources at some point do play significantly? I mean, so I think the huge question here is, is, is the development of the technology itself. And so some people are very optimistic that, you know, the cost of solar, the cost of storage are going to continue to plummet as they have over the past decade. And if that happens, you know, I think it's really, it's a challenge for regulation to, to provide opportunities because right now, um, you know, as we've been talking about, there are barriers to participation at the wholesale level. There's a lot of questions about how this is going to work, you know, at the state level going forward. Um, and it'll also be up to the, you know, the, the businesses themselves, what's the business model of the future. But if the technology continues to develop, I, I, I hope regulators can provide opportunities. And I, I have total faith that, that uh, you know, entrepreneurs will be able to figure out what the right model is as long as regulation doesn't put up barriers. Ari, thanks for talking. Sure. Today's guest has been Ari Pesco, visiting scholar at the Kleinman Center for Energy Policy. For more insights into energy policy and for updates on research and events from the Kleinman Center for Energy Policy, subscribe to our Twitter feed, at Kleinman Energy, or visit our website, kleinmanenergy.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening to Energy Policy Now, and have a great day.